Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I trust that uh, you are going to say so today as we make public proclamations uh, as how good our God is and our commitment to him. And so I'm hoping that today you have your bulletin because you will need it. Uh, We have some things in it. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us today to understand and apply his word. Father, thank you so much that you have allowed us to come to worship before you. You are the awesome God, the only Yahweh there is. All gods worship you. All creation worships you. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this earth, the universe is yours and everything in it. And so, Lord, as we wait before you, I pray that by your spirit that you help us to to take in what your word has to tell us today, that we will understand it, that we will apply it, that we will more appreciate now more than ever about how important it is to proclaim your name to the watching world, to the pagans that are around us. Lord, as we as we come together, as we live together in love and unity, Lord, the world will know that there is an alternative way to live. They don't have to live in the darkness that they're living in. So, Lord, I pray that you help us today. Help us to understand, help us to apply. And we're going to thank you, Lord, in advance for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. The story is told of a conversation that had gone on in a church somewhere. After uh, corporate worship one Sunday, a man with perfectly good hearing tried to ask a longstanding member of the church uh, that was there why he, a deaf man, attended the service, even though he could not hear a thing that was going on. Here was his answer. I come here every week to let people know which side I'm standing on. I love that. Isn't that great? This man, greatly limited in his ability to, quote, get anything out of the service, made a loud public proclamation that he was standing with Jesus and his people. His very presence, even without words, sang the song that we often sing here. You can have this world, have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Today we begin the next phase in the book of Deuteronomy, the blessings and cursings phase in the suzerain vassal treaty that the Lord wanted to make with his beloved people. Now, last week we finished up the fine print of what the Lord expected of his people, the people whom he loved, and he loved them just because, as we saw. The people whom he delivered out of Egypt by his mighty hand. Now, today in Deuteronomy 27, 1 to 26, we're going to literally immerse ourselves into this passage of Scripture as we gain a fresh understanding of our responsibilities and privileges that go along with living our lives together as God's people in this world. Our life with God is just that. It's life. It's a living thing. It's not just a philosophy. It's not merely a set of beliefs. And it's certainly not primarily a set of do's and don'ts, although a lot of that is included in our life with God. After all, as a king of the universe, doesn't God have the right to require of his people to tell them how to live? If you agree, say amen. (laughs) Amen. We, together as God's people, have adopted a lifestyle that seeks to honor our king, our heavenly father. Our life with God is not lived in isolation, is it? As though it's just Jesus and me. You may have heard this. You may have heard people say this. You know, I can worship God anywhere. You know, it's just Jesus. No problem. But there's a corporate aspect to our life with God. 
God hardwired us for relationships, not only for one another, just one another on the human level. After all, you know, God made Eve to be with Adam because it wasn't good for man to be alone, not only his husband and wife, but just the fact that he's a human being needing relationships. God also hardwired us to live in relationship with him. See, even the Lord is a trinity. You know, he's one God, yes, but there's three persons. It's truly a mystery, isn't it? Now, there is a perfect relationship in all the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, contrary to popular belief in some religions, God is not lonely. <laughs> and as though he needed a companion, as though he created us for to fill that need. God has no needs. He was perfectly fine without us. And I'm glad, though, that he created not only us, but he also saved us, all of us who repented of our sins and embrace the gospel of Christ. And though the Lord gives to us commands as individuals, they are to be lived out in relationship. See, love, for example, requires another person to pull that off, doesn't it? Unless it's self-love, which is the fountainhead of the worst behavior. You know, we can't obey the Lord's commands in isolation from other people. And we can't sin in total isolation either, can we? For example, I can't steal from myself. You ever try to do that? See, even if I steal something in secret, I'm stealing someone else's property. That's why they call it stealing. As I mentioned a moment ago, we are going to literally jump into this passage today. Now, I invite all of us to participate. I hope you do. In fact, you've already begun to do so. As you see that we've done something a little bit different today. As you walked in, you saw you know, a couple of placards on the wall, you know, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And then notice we have a ribbon right down the middle in the pews. And my goal for Kathy was to have her have uh, just kind of divide everything up, to have a basically equal number of people standing on two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. See, at Grace United, in our imagination, we've already taken the trip and we've already arrived in country. And we are right now having a mountaintop experience. In our passage for today, again, Deuteronomy 27, 1 and 27, or 26, we're going to literally do what Moses commanded his people, as in plural, a person to do, together. We're going to make a corporate proclamation that we are his people. Remember where we are in Israel's history. Here's Moses at 120 years old. He's about to pass off the scene. As we will see, Moses can't even see Deuteronomy through to the end. See, somebody has to write the rest of his story. This entire book is a series of sermons, all done in rapid-fire succession. It's like one sermon after another, after another, after another. Now, many of the learned guys tell us that practically everything Moses said in his teaching in Deuteronomy, in these sermons, were all spoken in one day. Can you imagine sitting under teaching in one day all these sermons? I'd love that. How about you guys? <laughs> now, there were a couple things in the book of Deuteronomy, as I just mentioned. You know, Moses didn't write his own, you know, eulogy. <laughs> and there were other things that Moses didn't say in here. You know, that's pretty obvious. But for the most part, everything in Deuteronomy was said in one day, according to most scholars. And many people believe that Moses left his people to go to Mount Nebo as soon as he blessed them 
in Deuteronomy 33:29. And here's what he told them. He says, "Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and shall tread upon you shall tread upon their backs." And so today, we're going to have a little mountaintop experience. Now, there's a reason why we're on Mount Gerizim and on Mount Ebal. In our passage for today, Moses tells the people what to do right after he dies. So let's, again, in our imagination, project ourselves a little farther along after Moses actually did pass away. We just finished our 30 days of mourning for Moses after he died. He's our great pastor. He's the teacher of the Torah. He's a leader par excellence. And we want to honor him by doing what he says, and even more importantly, to obey what Yahweh told us to Moses as being his mouthpiece. Now, we are finally ready to take the land by military conquest. After all these years, it's go time. Many of us in the nation are warriors just itching to obey the Lord by taking out the Amorites in obedience to his command. Fresh in our mind's eye is the memory of the campaign where we obliterated Sion and Og and, and their military forces in the Sion campaign. The Lord gave us a massive victory, and we're ready to do it again. The Lord will be with us, and he will go before us. That much we are sure of. But before we take the land, we have to dedicate ourselves. It's now dedication time. We want to do things right this time. Not like the major failure that we had about 40 years back when the Lord told us to take the land then, but we chickened out. See, we didn't believe him when the Lord told us to go and enter the promised land the first time. Now, we didn't do that. We sent 12 spies in to check things out. They brought back a scary story, and we told the Lord no, because we were uber frightened. (laughs) But the Lord would not take our no for an answer. He never gave up on us. He knew that we needed training. He knew that we needed him to build our confidence in him. And he was so faithful, wasn't he, to make it happen. And before we get rid of the seven nations living in the Lord's land, the land he's giving us, we must first dedicate ourselves publicly and corporately, just as the Lord told us. And so I want to push pause right here. This kind of let you know where the Israelites are. And so we're going to see here on the map, and I need to go up here to kind of point them things out because this map is really, really washed out, much to my disappointment. So I want to show you where the Israelites are and where and where they're going to go. As you can see down here, this is the Dead Sea, right? Here is the Jordan River, and right there on the east side is the Arabah. That's where the people were gathered. And down here, Mount Nebo is about 20 miles away from where the people are. And this is where God told Moses to go in order to go see the the vision and then to have him die right there. Moses was going to be buried on Mount Nebo. And then about 20 miles north, you can see a couple spots up there. That's Mount Ebal, and there's Mount Gerizim. And there's a road between Mount Ebal and Gerizim. It's kind of like... You know, this, this, uh, these two mountain peaks are kind of guarding that road. It was one of the major roads of the time. So now that's, you kind of get a picture of, of where we are here in this. Again, 
where we are because we've taken our trip there with these people. The bottom line here, here's the point. Israel then have crossed into the land of promise before they actually took the land by conquest. This was the first time Israel as a nation crossed over the Jordan. What an amazing thing that would have been. Imagine that. So let's now continue our imaginary journey, our mental journey with them. See, God told the people to get some large stones and then to take some plaster and put some plaster on those stones. They were to write the words of the Torah on it. Now, some people say that it was just the Ten Commandments they were supposed to write on there. Others say that it was the entire book of Deuteronomy that they were going to write on there. But either way, God's word was to be taken, put on these stones, and then hiked up to the top of Mount Ebal. So in other words, God's word was lifted high, exalted over the land on Mount Ebal. Now, God's people were to do something else before their corporate proclamation. They were to build an altar and sacrifice peace offerings and then eat the sacrifice. How many animals were going to be eaten on that day and rejoice before the Lord? And so now we, as Grace United, who have joined in the crowd of a million-plus people who crossed the Jordan and climbed up Mount Ebal and climbed up Mount Gerizim, who do you think is watching us? Just about everybody around, everybody in the region, a million people, a million of us crossing over the Jordan. We're up on those mountains. What do the neighbors think? What are these people thinking? And those who couldn't see it, they heard about it because it was gone through the grapevine. And news travels fast in a grapevine. How many get a witness on that? The people, they heard, and they were very afraid. They were scared spitless. And we know that because just a few days after our corporate proclamation that we'll be giving, the Lord gave us our first assignment, take Jericho. That city, about 25 miles south, southeast of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And a woman named Rahab would meet two spies in Jericho, and they, she would say to them, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In other words, God's reputation went before them. And now with the Lord having trained his people, having given them confidence that he was with them, that he had gone before them, God's people were about to bring the house down now with a million-plus voices giving heartfelt, passionate amens numerous times. And this is where we come in. We are going to corporately proclaim our amens to the Lord and our allegiance to him. See, God wanted his people to do it back then, and our God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But before we make our corporate proclamation, I want to give two points. First, we are amening curses. Let that sink in. In a few minutes, we're going to amen some curses. 
Now, what this simply means is that God's people were pledging that they were going to steer clear of all that he had forbidden them in the first place all along. These are things that God hates here. Now, scholars are all over the map as to why it was only cursing material and not blessing material as well. My take here is that there's going to be more blessings and cursings throughout the next several chapters. And so there's more blessings to come and there's even more curses to come for disobedience. The second point is we need to know what we are amening about. So let me briefly give you the general categories of the wickedness the Lord commands his people to abstain from. The first category is idolatry. Uh, no surprise there, as, as the head, the first thing he wants us to abstain from. The second is insolence, as in people dishonoring their parents. Because whether you're a kid or whether you're grown up, honor your parents. That's what God says. Injustice is a third category of curse, while sexual immorality and inhumanity make up the next two. Moses does not spell out the punishment for the curses. He just says, hey, cursed be those, and we're going to talk about them. We're going to make that proclamation. But as we've seen so often, the Lord is merciful and he's patient. And we're not talking about here as we talk about these curses and we say amen to them. We're not talking about a one-time violation here. But rather, it has much more to do with an ongoing practice of these things that he is listing here. Again, we're not told what the Lord prescribes concerning the curse and what's going to happen, but he did say it was a curse. And that warning should suffice. You agree? So without further ado, I want us to do some amening as God's people. If we claim to be God's people, these are the kinds of sins he wants us to stay away from. He commands us to stay away from. So as a Levite on Mount Gerizim, I'm going to pronounce a curse category. And you as people, all of God's people are to say amen. So I want us to stand, all right? And I want us to face the ribbon because that ribbon uh, depicts the road that's between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. We're going to say amen like we mean it. At least I'm hoping we will, right? Say it out loud because we need to hear, they, the people in the back need to hear it. And so the people on Facebook is, is watching uh, they want to hear us, okay? So, but when I, as a Levite at Mount Gerizim, are saying a curse, everybody's saying amen. You ready? Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Amen. <laughs> Say it louder, please. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of an animal. Ooh. <laughs> Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. 
Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Talk about the ick factor with some of those. (laughs) My word. But you know what? Some people are actually engaging in those kinds of things, right? You've seen on the news, you know. Well, that was then. God's covenant people corporately proclaiming they are his. God saved them. God told them how to live. And now in front of the pagans, the entire nation declares, we are holy unto the Lord. Israel could not care less how the pagans see them. Where were they? In a very public, visible place. But with a proclamation also carried with it the demand to follow through. It's not enough just to say these things and just enough to pledge allegiance to the Lord. They must now help their fellow Israelites to maintain lives separated unto the Lord in holiness. They, Yahweh's vassals, are to live their lives pleasing to their divine king, their suzerain. Well, that was then, and this is now. As followers of Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, we too can and we should make corporate proclamations of our loyalty to the Lord. Only now it's not proclaiming curses, but blessings. So I'd like a little help. I'd like for us to remove the ribbon because now we're, going to be, we're all going to be unified together in this because we're going to have another time that we're going to proclaim um, things together. And so I can't think of a better list, as it were, of proclamations of blessings as followers of Jesus than reciting the kingdom blessings as found in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go there in a moment. But first, I want to remind us of why we can experience his blessings. The Lord Jesus established a new covenant. Listen to these wonderful words as Jeremiah tells his people who were in dire straits at that time. What is in store for them? It was all by his grace and all by his mercy. So please turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And listen to these words. These are amazing words of a covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant, though they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts. That's the Torah. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Amazing stuff. And guess who established this? The Lord Jesus. It's a new covenant. Notice again what the Lord promises. He will put his Torah, the teaching of his ways, within the hearts of his people. He will write it on their hearts. In other words, the ways of Yahweh will become the most precious thing about them. 
and, and God's people, that's what they will most highly prize. The Torah, God's ways upon their hearts. Then the Lord tells his people, I will be their God and they will be my people. And that entails this, that God's people will know him. Not just know about him, not just mere religious activity, but God's people would know him. And centuries later, did not Jesus define what eternal life is in John 17, 3? Here's what he says. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said eternal life is knowing God, and this is a new covenant. The most amazing part of knowing the Lord in the new covenant is what he said next, for I will forgive their sin. I will remember their sin no more. Does God have amnesia? (laughs) In one sense, yes. He forgets our sin completely. But in actuality, what we know that is, he knows full well what we've done and who we are. But he treats us as though we didn't. And why is that? Because of the sacrifice of Christ. But there's more in the new covenant. The prophet Ezekiel speaks of the new covenant as well. In chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. And he says, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's going to do this. Admittedly, this promise is specifically given to Israel, to people in the Abrahamic covenant. But what happened? What did God tell us? Scripture says that the Gentiles are also going to be able to partake in this, participate in this. Those of us who have repented of our sins and embraced the gospel of Christ. Those of us in the family of God, we are participants. We are recipients of the new covenant. So what has the Lord given us? Because Jesus fulfilled the new covenant through his crucifixion and his resurrection, cleansing from sin, a soft heart responsive to the ways of the Lord, God's power to walk in his ways, knowing God, knowing his ways, permanent forgiveness of all sin. That's a new covenant. What more could anyone ask for? You know, The blessedness that the Lord gives. And for all of us who've been reconciled to King Jesus, we have the unspeakable privilege of experiencing his blessings as he spoke the words of life in the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Like Israel did on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, corporately proclaiming they were his people, wouldn't it be an awesome thing for us to travel to another mountain in our mind's eye, the mountain where Jesus sat and he gave this sermon. Picture in your mind's eye Jesus going up on the mountain and sitting down. And then all of his disciples, we are included, sitting at his feet, listening to his words. But now as followers of Jesus, I want to invite us to proclaim them, to make his words personal, personalize them. Let's personalize these precious words of our Lord. And so in your bulletin, there is a so-called personalized list of what we call the Beatitudes. And those who have been reconciled to the king, 
Let's make a corporate proclamation of the blessings found here. So let's work it this way. I'm going to give the blessing. And then you join me in giving the, the reason for the blessing that's highlighted in yellow. And Jesus said, bless our poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so after we do this, this beatitude, this blessing, then we'll all say together, amen. So we get with this? You know how it works now? Okay. So, but now there are a couple of blessings which don't give a reason for the blessing. And you're just going to say amen with that. And you'll see it's pretty easy to follow. When you join in, say it loudly for the people in the back. Okay. So let's do it with feeling. Let's do it with conviction. The Lord loves us. Our King loves us. It is such a privilege to follow him. Amen. So without further ado, let's corporately proclaim Christ's blessings of the kingdom. Blessed are we who are poor in spirit, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Blessed are we who mourn, for we shall be comforted. Amen. Blessed are we who are meek, we shall inherit the earth. Amen. Blessed are we who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for we shall be satisfied. Amen. Blessed are we who are merciful, for we shall receive mercy. Amen. Blessed are we who are pure in heart, for we shall see God. Amen. Blessed are we who are peacemakers, for we shall be called sons of God. Amen. Blessed are we who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We are blessed when others revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us falsely on account of the Lord Jesus. We rejoice and are glad, for our reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before us. Amen. We are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Amen. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We are to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hmm. So I want us to close our time today by reading a prayer. It was written by a man who gave his life for his Lord. As a Jew, his forefathers were on Mount Gerizim. No doubt Saul was enthralled to be considered a member of the people of Yahweh. And as he grew, Saul had a fire in his belly. He was extremely zealous to uphold the faith in which he grew up. He was willing to give his life to promote its cause. And so when this itinerant rabbi came on the scene proclaiming to be Messiah, Saul would have none of that. Chances are, Saul was part of the ruling council, which heard Jesus say that his kingdom is not of this world, that he was born to bear witness to the truth. If Saul was indeed there because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he would have wholeheartedly condemned him to death along with everybody else. Well, after Jesus died, 
Saul no doubt thought, good riddance of that Galilean teacher. Until he got wind of a huge problem. Many people claim to have seen Jesus alive after his cruel death on the cross. Well, Saul attended the stoning of Stephen. He even held the cloaks for those who executed the first martyr of the church. And that set Saul off. He was thirsty to spill the blood of Christians. Until one day, the Lord Jesus knocked him to the ground. Saul experienced the glory of God. And though he was blinded for three days physically, Saul's spiritual eyes were wide open. And now Saul, who later became Paul, spent the rest of his days serving the risen Savior. Paul spent a couple of years in Rome, just on a little tour of duty there, visiting the prison. He was under house arrest, preaching the gospel, and writing letters. One particular letter was addressed to his friends in Ephesus. In this letter, Paul records a prayer. And here these incredible, inspired words he uttered as a prayer, not just for the church in Ephesus, but for churches, all churches down through all the ages. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I ask you to join with me the ending of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 as our corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May our lives consistently match our words as we speak a corporate declaration before the watching world that the Lord Jesus be honored and glorified. In the church and throughout the world, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your church is public. Your people, we, your people, are to proclaim our loyalty to you publicly. This is not a private affair. This is not something that we keep to ourselves. It's not a just Jesus and me thing. Lord, it's Jesus and we thing. We together are to proclaim your excellencies. And we do that by the way we live our lives. We also do that by the way we speak. And we do this in front of the watching world. Lord, you've told us that we are the light of the world because you are the light of the world and we follow you. Even as we heard today in 1 John, that as we follow you, as we have fellowship with you, we walk in the light. Lord, you want us to live holy lives. That is the way we make an impact on the world around us. We don't become like the world in order to have an impact, which is an oxymoron. Lord, we 
are distinctive. We are distinctive. And I pray, Lord, that all of us will have such an ardent desire, Lord, to be distinctive, that we will shine the light because, the Lord, the, the, the world is so dark. And, Lord, even, even the little light that we have, even, even though we are nowhere near where we ought to be as your people, Lord, just that little light shines and, and is, a, is like a beacon. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us. I pray, Lord, that as we come together on a continual basis, I pray, Lord, as we come together we, in, in front of you, before your throne, before you, Lord, in our, in our times of devotional times, in our times of prayer, in our times of reading your word, Lord, I pray that you would help us get your word into our lives, help us to live it out, that we make, may make that public proclamation, that corporate proclamation as well, that we are your people. As now, Father, I pray that you help us. Lord, as we turn our attention to our giving and turn our attention to singing again, Lord, these are acts of worship that we can give to you. And we pray, Lord, they will be acceptable in your sight. And we thank you, Father, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.